0: Thanks, John, and thanks, team, for leading us this morning. It's been great. And welcome, everyone. I'll just add my welcome um, to that of, of Shane and Tony. It's great to be with you here this morning and have the chance to bring the message. Um, so a few weeks ago, I attended the Justice Conference, which is run by Tier Australia. I was invited to attend as as a board member and also supporter. And this year's theme was from Revelation 21 verse 5 where it says he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new and closely connected to that was john 10:10, which is i have come that they may have life and have it to the full and these verses tell us that god has already begun the work of restoring all things and we often refer to that as bringing the kingdom here on earth which is what jesus teaches us to pray when he says in the Lord's Prayer to pray for God's will to be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And in one elective at the conference in small groups, we were asked to look 10 years into the future and to imagine what role and place the church has in our nation and in our local communities. We can imagine anything. What issues is the church involved in? What message is being heard from the church? How do government and society view the church and Christians? Well, what place does the church have in society and government and the economy? And we wrote our answers in the form of a front page news article. And I'm going to share my groups with you. Our headline was, Australia welcomes climate refugees. An entire Pacific nation of 100,000 people whose islands have gone almost completely underwater as a result of rising sea levels has been relocated to Australia. Christians from all denominations have provided homes and been at the forefront of welcoming and connecting people to community, education and employment. This was made possible, said the article, because people, uh, the church sorry, has advocated and led a change in the national narrative around refugees and the impact of changing climate and were willing to take the lead in settling people into the community. And our first female Indigenous Prime Minister has been quoted as saying that she values the role the church has taken in advocating for policy change and showing that it is possible for, to come together as local communities to welcome those who have been forced to flee their nation. And she's proud of the leadership Australia is showing on the world stage in this issue. And the article included a photo of our Federal Minister for Home Affairs personally welcoming the refugees as they arrived at the airport. It was a pretty bold vision. And regardless of the specific issue that that our group chose to write about, let me tell you why this vision that four virtual strangers talked about and jotted down in just 10 minutes, why it really inspired and encouraged me. You see, it inspired me to think big. And it encouraged me to imagine an alternative future. And it put aside any debate about national borders, about who can be welcomed here and under what circumstances, And it got back to the heart of who I believe we are called to be as God's people as we seek to bring the kingdom here on earth. It illustrates for me something that's been on my heart a lot of late. And that is the question of what is the church for? As the people of God in this place, in this time, what do we have to offer and what do people think we have to offer? Because so often I think all people see and know is what we're against or what we object to. Yes, they see churches and Christians doing a lot of good, but do they think we have anything more than that to offer? What is the church for? It's a question I've asked as I've sat at my local craft beer bar every Thursday night for the last 18 months, simply being present and building relationship with people. And it's a question I ask as I look at the issues that are being grappled with on a world and national scale, changing climate, conflict and mass displacement of people, sexuality, abortion and corruption, just to name a few. And it's a question I ask as as often I feel that the church and Christians, and by extension God, are only known for what we're against. Reverend Tim Costello spoke to about 200 church leaders at the Justice Conference and said something that stood out to me, which was his comment that a journalist recently said to him, I like interviewing you, Tim. You'll talk about things like climate change and refugees. All most church leaders seem to want to talk about is sex and sexuality. And to me, this says that as people ask themselves what relevance God and the church has in today's world, they do actually want to hear from us, and not just on what's wrong or what we might object to. The world is hungry for an alternative, transformative vision of the future. They long for fullness of life. And I think as the church, sometimes we forget that we actually hold this vision. Just as the nation of Israel was to show the world who God is and what life looks like when people follow him, we as God's people today are called to show our world a different way, to imagine a different future and to be part of bringing that about. So as I've been pondering pondering and wrestling with this question of what is the church for, I'm not seeking to give neat answers, because I don't necessarily think there are any, or to do an in-depth exposition of scripture, but I'm inviting you to consider with me two things. What is it that God has invited us into, and how is that already being demonstrated and proclaimed? Now, I'm fairly sure that for many of you, when you heard that vision I described, that alternative future that our little group put together, you immediately thought about all the reasons it would be difficult the economics, the politics, the risks, the challenges, the time, the effort, the resources. And maybe you even thought, but that's not the role of the church. Yep, we can definitely welcome and help people, but not being at the forefront of actively advocating around policy and taking a lead in society on such an issue. That's not our role. Or maybe you even thought, well, I'm not convinced about the science of climate change. Or well, we have enough people here in Australia, surely, to help already. Or if we let one nation come, what's to stop all the others from wanting to come? And can we actually cope with that as a community and as a nation? Are we going to end up with a caravan from Mexico kind of situation here? And they're all really relevant questions. And they're things that need to be explored and debated and considered. But to me, the call of the church and Christians, or the call to the church and Christians is pretty simple. When God describes the kind of people and community he wants us to be, this is what we see. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. I will be quick to testify against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the, f- deprive the foreigners among you of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So who does this tell us God is for? It's often called the quartet of the vulnerable Orphans, widows, foreigners or refugees, and the poor. In their day, these groups had no social power. They had few rights, they had no voice, and no way to meet their own needs. And we see in these verses that God singles them out time and time again for special attention. Today, this quartet would include um, people like kids in care, the homeless, many single parents and elderly, and refugees. And what what do these verses tell us God's heart is for these vulnerable groups? They tell us that just as God loves justice and he does justice, as God's people we are called to work with him to address poverty, injustice and oppression, to meet people's needs, but more than that, to see that they're both treated fairly and able to flourish. And just in case we think, ah, this is just an Old Testament thing, a couple of New Testament verses... From James, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And in Matthew 25, that that verse about the, uh, the passage, sorry, about the sheep and the goats, says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The community God set up in Israel had many laws and practices about ensuring that these groups were provided for and not taken advantage of, including the Jubilee year where all property was returned to its original families. And what we see in those verses and many others is that some of the biggest indictments against the nation of Israel from the prophets was not around their religious practices like sacrifices and festivals, but the fact that they did all the religious practices and neglected these matters of justice and protection for the most vulnerable. You see, nowhere are we called to assess the reasons for people's distress or misfortune, to put caveats on people's race, religion, or nationality, or to debate the science or who's to blame or to take responsibility for the response of others. We're simply called to defend, to speak up for, and take care of the poor, the powerless, and the voiceless. These are vital elements of God's kingdom and of who God is. The kingdom of God and a relationship with Jesus is for everyone. But we can see time and time again, through these verses and through Jesus' life, that the poor, the vulnerable, and the marginalized are very important to God. In fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus calls out the Pharisees on this very thing. He says to them, guys, you've got the religious details so down pat that you're even, even tithing your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. But then he says to them, but you're neglecting the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's a pretty big call on Jesus' part. But how do we live out the call in these verses? Tim's talked a lot this year in our series called The Way about how the Sermon on the Mount shows that we are called called to live in countercultural ways. And sometimes this is about how we live our daily lives through being generous and meeting needs and living moral lives and showing people God's unconditional love. And as I look around I see so many of us doing that so well and so faithfully. And as a church, we've got some amazing ministries that walk with people where they're at in life. And as we demonstrate Jesus' love with them, we have those opportunities to share with them and to call them into personal faith with Jesus. But these verses also tell us that sometimes responding to this call of God to care for the vulnerable and marginalized is about advocating, about raising our voice, about acting on behalf of these groups to bring about a change in the big picture circumstances that make or keep them vulnerable. We see throughout biblical and modern history amazing examples of God using his people to seek justice for the oppressed and marginalized. A few examples are God using Moses to bring the Israelites out from under the oppressive rule of the Egyptians to fulfill his covenant with Abraham and make them into a great nation. We see Esther risking her life to advocate to the King to save the Jewish nation. We've seen William Wilberforce spending years advocating in society and parliament in the UK to end the slave trade from Africa to the West Indies. And Martin Luther King Jr. sharing his dream of a different future in the US in which skin colour and race was not a determining factor in a person's rights, well-being or their ability to participate in society. Now, when God called them and gave them a vision of a different future, did they jump straight in? Did they think what they imagined was actually possible? Definitely not. We see Moses, he used all the arguments he could muster to try and avoid going to Pharaoh. Esther had to submit to what I'm sure was a long and, uh, if you were me, not a very fun process of being beautified, in order to gain access to and favor with the king. And even then, she risked her life by speaking up. And both Wilberforce and Martin Luther King Jr. suffered a great deal of opposition, and Martin Luther King Jr. was actually assassinated. But when we we see that when people defend and speak up for these vulnerable groups, they do so because they are driven by a conviction and a vision of an alternative future, a vision of the kind of world God calls us to create They see the ways in which this is not true and they work to bring that transformation about. This, I believe, is the prophetic voice of the church as God's people and it's a voice that I long to see raised. Now, what I'm not saying is that the issues and injustices in our time aren't complex or that speaking up about them isn't scary. My group and I knew at that conference when we wrote that headline news article that for that to actually come about would be a huge practical and philosophical shift for both some parts of the church and the nation. But I wanna say to us today that everything I read in the Bible screams at me, this is what God is calling us to do. He is making all things new. And he invites us as his church, his people in this time and place, to delve into scripture, to see what his kingdom is like and the things that are important to him And to pray and to imagine an alternative future in which those things come about. And as we do that, we remember that he has already won the victory. And we can heed his constant call to the Israelites to be strong and courageous as we step into who he calls us to be as his people. And I also understand that faced with the complexity of some of these social, economic, and political issues, and the knowledge that in many ways the church and Christians, are not viewed as a change agent by society these days. It's easy to want to retreat or to simply defend issues of biblical morality. It's tempting to say, well, we'll just do what we can on an individual and local community level in people's lives and concentrate on inviting people into personal relationship with Jesus because we can't possibly shift that big stuff. And we'll just have to wait for Jesus to return to see that happen. And, and maybe we don't even agree on what needs to change. But I want to challenge us and say that that sells us short, and I think it sells the gospel short as well. I'm going to read a couple of passages from Isaiah in a minute. We've actually already heard them both today. Um, We heard Luke quoting, uh, we heard Jesus quoting Isaiah in Luke. And I invite you as I do this to either follow on the screen if you like to read and see the words, or just to close your eyes and let the words wash over you. And as you listen or read, I invite you to imagine, to dream. What vision do these passages evoke of the kingdom God is establishing here on earth? What is the alternative future that you imagine? What wrongs are set right? Who receives justice and is able to flourish? And as we partner with God to bring that about, what is it that he promises for us as his people, the church? What is God calling us as individuals and his people to be for? Can you see the role of the church acting and speaking into our world? Can you see beyond the systems and structures and the powers of our day and imagine that when we speak up against injust- injustice, God will move? So I'm going to read those verses now. From Isaiah 28, uh, 58 Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And from Isaiah 61, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help. Sorry, this is still Isaiah 58. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And Isaiah 61 The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. You see, we have a story to tell of a God who transforms and an alternative future to imagine and proclaim. The vision Jesus brought of the gospel was one of reconciliation, transformation, and restoration, both on a personal and a societal level. N.T. Wright, in the day the revolution began, says, in the story the Bible is telling, humans were created for a purpose and Israel was called for a purpose. And the purpose was not simply to keep the rules, to be with God, or to go to heaven. Humans were made to be image bearers, to reflect the praises of creation back to the Creator, and to reflect the Creator's wise and loving stewardship into the world. And I firmly believe that if we can recapture this call to imagine a different future, to be a prophetic voice, we will see things change in ways we never thought were possible. Now, I've already mentioned in my examples earlier some big ways in which God's people have advocated for the poor and and the vulnerable and marginalized in the past. But I wanted to just take a bit of time um, to add to um, and uh, emphasize what Megan and and Wynne and the boys have shared this morning, which is the work of Tear Australia. Um, as Tony said, I currently sit on the board and I actually served also for three years in Zimbabwe with one of Tear's local partners from 2013 to 2016. Tear started with a prophetic imagination to work to inspire and enable Australian Christians to make a biblically-shaped response to poverty and injustice. They work towards a more just and compassionate world, which we saw in that video, where everyone has the opportunity to experience fullness of life and they work with local partner organisations, and they do that in some of the poorest and most conflict-affected places in the world to help those communities end poverty, challenge injustice, and build sustainable futures. And what I love about TEAR is they constantly put in front of people the idea that this alternative future is possible, and that it's what God is calling us to work towards. They have a strong voice with government, They advocate for a robust and generous aid and development program. And they're part of a global campaign to address sustainability and climate change. Because they've listened to their partners in developing countries and heard them say, we are experiencing the impacts of changing climate. And they felt a clear call to continue to be a prophetic voice, speaking up about the impacts of changing climate on some of the most vulnerable and poorest people in the world and encouraging Christians to speak up and act on this issue. Because for Tear it's simple. They ask, what kind of world do you want to see? And then they inspire us to see that change happens when a movement of people starts to pray, live differently, and speak out. And of course, is not the only organization or movement calling the church and Christians to rise up and declare what God is for and to work to see that come about. Our missions committee regularly share the work of many local and international organisations who believe that things can be different and that we can do more than just meet immediate needs. We're called to imagine and to partner with God to declare to the world what the church is for and to bring about that alternative future. What I've put before us today isn't easy and it's not simple and it's not quick. So we're going to take communion in a minute. And if I could have some helpers come forward, please, to serve that. And during communion, we take time to spend some time with God and to reflect and to remember. So as you reflect this morning, I want to invite you to remember that God has a special place for the vulnerable and marginalized and that he calls us to speak up and defend. And I invite you to remember that we can take courage in the knowledge that he's already won the victory. And we are called to bear his image in the world and to partner with him to bring about the kingdom. So as you pray now and as you pray in the coming weeks, and as you speak with others, will you imagine? If we heed the call to love and do justice, just as God does, what would the world, society and our community look like? What role and place does the church, the people of God, have in our nation and in our communities? And will you dream with God about an alternative future? So I'm just going to pray as we take communion. Lord, I thank you that you call us to be your people in this time and place, in this world, and that you put before us a vision of your kingdom, of the things that are important to you, of the things that you are calling us to stand up and speak out about. You call us to meet needs, and you call us also to shift things in our world, Lord. And Father, I pray that um, through all the things we already share in as a church, and the ministries we we have, the, the the ways in which we we reach out and touch our community in our world, that you'll just continue to inspire us with this idea of an alternative vision of the future, and that you will challenge us, Lord, that this is something that we are called to bring on a bigger scale in our world, Lord, that you would reignite that prophetic imagination and prophetic voice in us, Father. And as we take time to reflect now on the fact that you came and you gave your life so that we might be free, but also, Lord, so that the world might be free and that your kingdom might come in our lives and in the, and in the, the whole world, Lord, that you are bringing restoration and making all things new. I pray that that would just be something that we can reflect on and thank you for and praise you for, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.